Bible with you this morning, or a phone, some device you'll be looking at the Scriptures with us. We'll be in Luke chapter 9. We've been working um, through Luke now for the last few months, um, watching the life and, and the ministry of Jesus from His um, birth announcement and the birth announcement of John the Baptist, um, and, and His birth as well. Um, Luke will take us through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and then into Acts, um, into the life of the, the church for the first generation or two. Um, really looking to give assurance um, and just an orderly account um, of these years um, for, the, for the benefit of the church, um, for the benefit of Theophilus, who he's writing to, and then for the benefit of the church now for 2,000 years. Um, and so Luke 9 um, is where we'll, we'll be this morning. I want to read um, beginning in verse 1. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. We're going to stop there for the moment. So up until this point um, in Luke so far, we have seen Jesus casting out demons. We've seen Him bringing healing We've seen him teaching. We've seen him actually raising folks from the dead. And, and as he's doing this, these signs and these wonders and he's teaching, crowds have just begun to emerge and to begin to follow him. And are there, everyone's just kind of asking this question like, who is this? Like, is he the one we're expecting? Is he a prophet? Like, who, who is this? And it's the question that Luke wants us asking ourselves as we interact with Jesus through this gospel, but it's what the crowds are doing. And so we've seen that the crowds, um, sometimes they're there for the teaching, sometimes they're just there for the, the show, right? Um, and the disciples are growing and understanding, but they're not there yet in some place of arrival, right? We Even just a couple weeks ago in the sermon, they're afraid that they're going to die in a, in a boat during a storm, even though Jesus is with them. So although they're grasping and seeing some tremendous things about him, they're obviously not understanding that, that God is with them, right? Um, and so we, we're in this kind of place of Jesus is revealing himself, and yet there's just a lot of question as to who, who is he and how are people going to respond and react to him. And so in this scene we have here, in this story this morning, for, um, Jesus has already called the 12 disciples, right? Disciples are simply students or learners, but he has pulled 12 um, and he's pulled them out of the crowd, and he is going to send them out, right, to do ministry. I want you to imagine now, um, these are the guys that just briefly, right, they're, they're scared for their life in a storm, and Jesus is like, do you not understand? And here he is going to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here, and you're going to go out. And you can just imagine the panic of like, wait, we're going to do what? Like you, you, we've watched you do some stuff, it's been quite impressive, Jesus. I can't do that. Like, I'm not, like, you want us to do what? We can't, like, let us watch you a little more. 
Right? Like, let us watch what you're doing. You're, you're handling it really well. Um, a couple months ago, uh, I went and helped with the first branding that I've helped with in a long time. Um, I got to take Jude with me. And um, there were several other kids there, right? And if you've ever been to a branding or watched one, like, there's a lot of action, right? There's, there's cattle. There's horses. Um, there's cowboys yelling, right? There's, there's heat. Um, there's shots being, I mean, there's a lot of action happening. And as excited um, as some of the kids were to, to, to be there and to observe it and want to get in there and help, as soon as they saw kind of the turmoil of the arena, it's like, hey, we're going to hang out over here. Right? We're going to pick some flowers and we're going to watch and we're going to eat some snacks and y'all work, right? Like, it, it was a little less exciting once you got into the arena and saw the significance of what was taking place and the chaos of what was taking place and the hard work of what was taking place. The disciples are going, Jesus, are you, are you sure you want us to go and do this? And yet it tells, tells us in verse 1 that He actually then gives them power and authority, right, to cast out demons, to cure diseases. And we see that He sends them dependent. He's telling them all the things they shouldn't take. Right? He's wanting them to go um, not in abundance, but in lack in their physical um, uh, their things. My, my mind was leaving me there. What word I wanted to use. Um, and then he asks them, he tells them, I want you to, sh-, like, listen, if you go and they don't um, receive it, I want you to shake off the dust from your feet. And this would have been a shocking thing for the crowd to have heard Jesus say, because they're going to a pre- predominantly Jewish audience. And what would you have, would have seen in Israel up until this point if you had gone into a Gentile place or a place that was um, not clean? Um, what would happen is, is you were leaving that place, that city, that area, you would shake the dust from your feet, saying, I'm leaving what was here, here, and I'm going back to where I, sh- where I belong, where I should be. And it was a, a way of kind of to, to warn, to judge. You're recognizing this place wasn't what it should have been. And so now what Jesus is telling them is, listen, if a place doesn't receive you, if they don't hear the gospel, and it's to a Jewish audience, he's saying, then you do this sign of judgment upon them, right? And it's, it's, it's almost like good riddance, right? And it's a warning. It's, he's not saying you can no longer respond to the gospel. He said it's a warning that neutrality is rejection of Jesus. There's no neutral ground. You either choose Him and follow Him and accept Him, or you're against Him. And so he says, listen, if, if they don't hear, then you need to do this because it will bring a warning and judgment upon them that they would respond to Jesus later. And it would have been shocking to hear a Jewish leader like this talking about his own people in this regard. And so ultimately, he's telling them, I want you to go and make disciples. And this, maybe the question for us this morning is this, is like, this is the plan, Jesus? Like, you're going to take these 12 dudes who are just guys, right? Like, they're not the most educated, they're not the most well-trained. Some of them have professions that people don't like, like tax collectors, some of them are fishermen. Like, you're going you're gonna to send them out to make disciples, feels like too much for them to carry, too big of a burden, too much weight. And yet, what we see here is that, that Jesus, as He is bringing the kingdom to bear, He is passing it on to them, and ultimately it's passed on to us. 
that now for 2,000 years, the way the church has moved forward, the way the gospel has moved forward, has been by one disciple leading to another disciple, leading to another disciple, all who are faithfully pointing back to Jesus, having been empowered and equipped by Him. And so we are the recipients of Jesus here, first and foremost, saying, like, I'm not going to be on earth forever. Right? My lifespan here will have an end, and I'll ascend to heaven. And so it's going to be in your hands to take this on. And whether we think this sounds like the best plan or not, it is, it is the plan. For us to honor the Lord as we grow and learn from Him and to take the message of hope and of peace and of joy to our friends, our neighbors, and the nation. Like This is the plan. And so what I want us to, to kind of begin with this morning, um, because we've heard this, right, that we're supposed to go and make disciples. I want to remind us that Jesus is, is beautiful. Like that He is incredible. And that this isn't just an A plus B equals C type formula of, okay, well, I've heard the gospel, so I should tell someone the gospel. It's that we need to see Jesus. Right? We can list off facts and information about Him all we want. And that doesn't mean that our hearts have been taken right with affection for Him, that we've been arrested by Him, that we're looking at Him and going, oh, yes, You are glorious. Like He's already raised people from the dead. Like that we would not run past that. That He's cast out demons to free people from bondage. That He's brought healing. That, that He's brought forgiveness. And in order to prove that He has the ability to forgive, He's then brought physical healing to say, hey, get up and walk so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins. Like that He's cared for the disciples them, like themselves, right? Like that there was compassion and care for them personally on the boat during the storm. That he, he met them in their fear and in their doubt and then in their need, and He didn't bring shame, right? He didn't get them off the boat and say, well, you twelve have failed. Let me go find twelve others. Then He continues to grow them and minister to them and see them and care for them. We saw last week in, in Luke 8 that as Jesus brought healing um, to the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, that He saw her. Like He saw her shame. He saw her, her struggle. And He met her in it. And He brought whole, wholeness to her. Healing in every aspect of her life. Physically, emotionally, relationally, socially, spiritually. That when that He looks at her and says, I got her. Like, I see you. And your faith has made you well because you've trusted me. When he goes into Jairus' daughter's room, as people are grieving, mourning the loss of this 12-year-old, and he sits tenderly at the side of the bed and, and takes her by the hand and basically says, like, honey, sweetheart, get up. Like a tender parent, seeing and ministering to her that life enters. Right? The disciples have seen this. They've seen... Right, people pulling back the ceiling and dropping someone down out of hope and out of desperation. They've seen him address the religious leaders. They've seen him minister to grieving families. They've seen him cast out demons. Like they have watched him work and teach and move in powerful ways. This wasn't just knowledge. This was their experience. Like what would they have to fear? Like Jesus has met the religious leaders. He's met the demons. 
right? He's met the storms. He's met everything that they could face. And he's saying, I, I want you to take what you've heard and what you've seen, but not just your knowledge, your experience. Like that Jesus this morning is beautiful. He's incredible. Like he meets us where we are. And he brings hope and joy and life. He removes shame and guilt, sin, and gives us the forgiveness that we long for, the relationship that we need, with even just a flicker of faith. So it's not just that Jesus is beautiful where we start, but that we go with the full story. As you think about the the folks that you're going to encounter along the way, the folks that the disciples are going to encounter as they're going out, right? He's going to tell them, I want you to go with knowledge. I want you to go realizing you're not alone and you're going to be equipped. But we go with the full story. Like we can agree with people, the world is broken. Like we don't go out there, Pollyanna, saying, no, everything's fine. Jesus is good and see, everything's good. Like we can go out and say, no, 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 the world is broken. Things are tragic and this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like we are scarred by it too. We are longing for a better day as well. But there's a reason for it. Because the world is broken and it's cursed. Because we have rebelled and sinned against a holy God. So there's a reason that there's storms. There's a reason that there's failed relationships. There's a reason that there's difficulty in relationships. There's a reason right, that we, sometimes people don't have enough. That they feel like they lack. That they're not sufficient. Like There's a reason the world is broken. We saw that as we studied Ecclesiastes earlier this year. The world is twisted. But we can meet them and say, yes, it is. We agree with you, but it won't always be. Right? That we don't just go and, and agree that the world is broken. We also say, but there's hope because the world will, will not be this way forever. There will be a day where there's no more death, where there are no more tears, where there's no more pain, where there's no more suffering, where relationships are full and whole, where bodies are full and whole, where we are not shameful but belong seated at the table because of Jesus. And so we can agree with the way things are and we can give the hope of a better day. And then we understand that there's a bridge between the two. Right? That Jesus has done what we cannot do. Lived the life that we were meant to live. Died the death that we deserve. And has beaten sin and Satan and death. And has risen from the grave and has ascended to the right hand of the Father. That He connects Right, This broken world to the way the world is supposed to be and will one day be again. So right, we, we can say, yes, it's this. And yes, we can hope in this. And Jesus meets us in between them. And it's hopeful. But there's also the call then to say, but our hearts want things other than Jesus. And we have to repent of wanting other relationships and other things, right, and rebelling against God and the things that we have given our hearts to, and worshiped other than Him. And so that's when the kingdom is near. We say, repent. Like, repent and turn your heart back to Jesus. Because He's the one that's taken us from this broken world to a world of hope and of joy for all of eternity. It's trusting that He has done what we cannot do. So repent, right, of pleasure. Repent of power. Repent of pride. Repent of broken. Right, like seeking yourself and have putting yourself on the throne. Or believing that politics 
or money or some other thing will satisfy you in a way that only Jesus can do. And then we begin to understand what the miracles are. They are glimpses of what we are headed to. Right? It's not just heaven breaking into this world. It's us seeing what the world that we are headed to will be. Right? There isn't people weeping over a 12-year-old's death. There's joy and there's life and there's hope. There, there aren't women having bled for 12 years. There are women who are walking full and restored with no shame and with no guilt and in right relationships. There aren't widows watching their sons being hauled out on a funeral bar, right? But there are people being cared for, ministered to. So there aren't those tormented by the demonic. There's life and there's hope. There's joy. There's enough. And storms that don't rage against us, but there is calm because God is with us. And so we take a beautiful Jesus with a full picture and understanding of the world and how things are going and why they're going that way and what hope we have. And so we go with that knowledge, but we also don't go alone. We know that we have Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who has also left His Holy Spirit for us, right? We have a step up on the disciples here. Although they have walked with Jesus, He now has empowered us with the Holy Spirit. So we have Jesus alive and accessible, ministering to us, right? going to the throne of grace in prayer, having the whole story of His life and His death and His resurrection and His ascension, but we're also full of the Spirit. And church, we have the, the benefit of 2,000 years of seeing this plan work. Of folks who are just as feeling just as ill-equipped as the disciples, just as panicked as they were, going forth and sharing their experience with Jesus, the truths of Scripture, and seeing churches planted and folks saved in the hardest and roughest environments. And it has passed from one continent to the next continent, from one language to the next language for 2,000 years, and it continues to move forward in that way. Listen, the disciples weren't ready, right? We will, we will watch over the next couple of years of Jesus' ministry that they will continue um, to miss it sometimes. That there will be, continue to be moments where they need um, that enlightenment. They need the Spirit to bring clarity. Right? John will even say that it was towards the end when the Spirit comes that all the light bulbs go off and they're like, oh, oh, that's why you did that. That's why you said that. That's why that happened. Right? Like it's, it's all those connections being made. Church, we're not ready. Right? But the good news is that salvation is not in your hands today. It's in the hands of a sovereign and good God who uses us to bring others to faith. Think about the folks in your life who shared the Gospel with you. Right? Whether it was sermons or, or um, conversations at your bedside or vacation Bible school or conversations that coughed, like whoever it was, like those imperfect people, right, who didn't say all the right things, who didn't get all the words right, who maybe even had some um, wonky theology. And yet Jesus worked in the midst of all that to rescue you and to save you and to make you His. And He would use us as well 
to bring others to faith and trust in Him. They weren't ready. We're not ready. And yet God sends and equips as we go, giving us the words that we need as we share the, the things that we do know in our experience with Jesus. Like you're not going to get it right. You're not going to say everything right. And it's okay. It's okay. Like God, there's not someone out there going, if you flub it up, that God's saying, well, now what do I do? Like I can't save them now because of what you said to them. As they go with knowledge, as they go with their equipping, he sends them dependent, right? We see this. He says, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, not bread, not money, and only have one tunic, right? Like don't don't take extra clothes. He's sending them dependent upon him and his provision. There's actually I'm a little bit of crossover here um, in Exodus twelve. Right before the whole nation of Israel goes out into the wilderness, as he rec- rescues them from Egypt, he tells them this before they eat. Um, he says, In this manner, in verse 11, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You'll eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This first Passover that, that they ate ready to go with very little with them, and they were going out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, what were they going to learn? that God would provide for them, that He would give them manna daily bread, right? that He would meet their needs every day, that He would guide them, whether it was right a pillar of fire, whether it was smoke, right? like, he would, like He would guide them. He would provide for them. He would be their protection from their enemies. And He would make a people out of them. Right? He cared for them in the wilderness when they had little because they had God. And so He is sending the disciples out saying, listen, it's not in your preparation and all the things that you take. I want you to know that you need Me. That I will see you, that I will care for you, that I will take care of your needs. A couple weeks ago, as we looked at the, soil, the four soils, and Jesus is saying it's, the Gospel goes out, and for some, Satan immediately takes it, and it's not really even heard. For others, right, it gets choked out. What's it get choked out by? The comforts of the world. It's like if you go and it's, things are too easy and too comfortable, you begin to think it's you, right, that's doing it, so you don't really need the Lord, or you begin to not have that same level of urgency because it, things are just easy and comfortable. And so He is sending them out dependent so that they will trust daily and care for them. So that pride won't creep in, that arrogance won't creep in. It's listen. It, it, it's um, one of the craziest things in this world that is you begin to grow in your knowledge and understanding of Jesus. As maybe you even see some some folks come to faith or have some quote unquote success in ministry, that your dependence on Jesus, although it should grow, often wanes, and you become self righteous or arrogant, or prideful, or independent, believing it's based on your experience, and your ability, and your knowledge, and your know-how, that you derive it. But we can't do anything, right? Like, we can't save. We can't. Jesus does that work. 
And we are simply an instrument, a tool in His hand that He uses to minister to specific people in specific times. And we are dependent upon Him. Completely. The other thing we note is that He sends them out relationally. The other Gospels tell us that they go out two by two. If we look at verse 4, He tells them, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. So He's like, land in a house and then stay there and minister to the area from that home. What He's, what he's saying is when, when someone brings you in, receive their hospitality and then you stay there because what would happen during this era were um, other uh, teachers or philosophers, when they would send out their pupils, they send them out as beggars. Right? And they would basically go from home to home to home trying to bring in money and bring in supplies and bring in things. And they would offer like what they knew in exchange for pay. And so he says, I want you to go and you stay and you receive the hospitality that, you'll re- that you get. And then from there you minister to the community until you move on to the next one. And it was relationship that you're taking time. Like You're going to see the same people every night. <laughs> You're going to to see them and get to know them and have conversation with them. That you slow down and see people. You meet with them. And that He reminds them that it is to be spoken. Look at verse 2. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. To proclaim the kingdom. To speak the kingdom of God and to heal. And then in verse 6. They went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. It's interesting to think about the, the disciples showing up in that first village or city or home that, that first night and being like, you are not going to believe what my last few months have looked like. like. And they start to tell stories. right? And you can imagine the people in the home going, he did, he, he did what? Like, he, you were in a boat and he did what? You're telling me they were, she was dead. Like, she was dead, dead. Like, the, the mourners were there, and they were, yeah, man, he, she was dead. Right? Like, they're telling these stories and, and, and proclaiming what they've seen and what they've heard, and then they're ministering. It is fulfilling what we saw earlier in Luke 5.10, that he tells Peter and the disciples, listen, I want you to follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Catchers of people. Like he is sending them out to begin to fulfill that, that this is their, their task and their ministry. The church is also important for us to notice that he doesn't just say that the gospel will be observed and believed. It has to be heard. It has to be spoken. They have to go and say things. It's why in, in the parable of the four soils that he says the gospel is heard and then it's responded to. We can go to Romans chapter 10 and we see this. Beginning in verse 14, Paul writes, It says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, How beautiful are are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed and what has He heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. There's often in our culture, we, we will say, well, I, 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 I preach the Gospel through my life or I live the Gospel through my life. Listen, we can affirm 
the gospel, right? We can confirm the gospel, but the gospel is a message that has to be spoken. It has to be told, right? It has to be said to people so they, their minds and their hearts can interact it. Right? If they're just watching you, they may not be able to connect the dots as to why you're doing what you're doing or that you're doing it to honor the Lord. Right? Like we have to speak the gospel forth. He tells them, go and stay in homes and speak. And then he sends these twelve. He's ill, ill-prepared like prior to Jesus' men. And it has an impact. Look in verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John, meaning John the Baptist, had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. And so as Jesus has been ministering now, as the disciples go out, there's a lot happening. And it gets back to Herod. And Herod asks the question of like, I thought I took care of this. And you can imagine that he is not just perplexed. There is potentially that he's a little bit haunted. Right? Of like, is it John the Baptist? Like he, is it, is he back? Like this is not good for me if he's back. This seems to be someone like him. I'm not sure that that's good for me, right? Like, then he begins to try to process through, is there any chance that it's John raised from the dead? Um, in Malachi, we saw that many believed it would be Elijah specifically, or just another one of the prophets. And, and Herod is trying to process through what is happening. These 12 men in Jesus are seeing the world be affected through their faithful obedience and ministry. Remember last week, when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter, he tells them, those around, he says this, hey, don't go tell people. Don't talk about it. Because what he's trying to do is he's trying to protect the crowds from simply wanting to be entertained and wanting a sign. Another thing to do, something to be entertained and, and, and pleased by. Um, in Luke 16.31, a story we will get to, um, Right, Lazarus, it's a different Lazarus, says, hey, will you send back someone to be raised from the dead so that my family will believe? And God tells him, listen, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, then even someone being raised from the dead is not going to be sufficient for them. Right, that idea that people like signs, right, but they don't always believe because of the signs. Right, Matthew 16, 14 says that it's a wicked and perverse generation that simply demands more signs. I want you to listen to this. This is Luke 23. Listen, part of the reason that we see Herod mentioned here is one, that we're seeing the impact of the disciples' ministry, but it's also to bring kind of some ominous, foreboding sense to this. It, that Herod killed John for truth and for ministry. And now here he is interested in per, trying to figure out who Jesus is. What's going to happen to Jesus now that Herod has his eyes on him? So this is Luke 23, 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. This is during Jesus' trial, right? Like during that whole interaction before the cross. He was glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. But listen to this. He was hoping to see some sign done by him. 
So here we are, three plus years into Jesus' ministry. We're about to go to the cross. Herod is heard and wondered. And listen, he doesn't say because he wants to hear the message. He wants to hear what this Jesus is all about. What was he hoping for? A parlor trick, right? Someone to entertain him. He's, he's almost turning Jesus into a jester here of like, oh, I'm so excited to see you. Like, do something for me. Right? It's like when you tell someone you speak a foreign language, they're like, well, say something. Right? Like, what can you do with it? Like, they want to immediately hear you prove it. And, and so here Jesus is before Herod, and Herod says, all right, what you got for me? Like, hope it's good. I've heard some great stories. Herod and Jesus will have a run-in. He'll, he'll be wanting a sign, and we see why Jesus has already told his disciples, listen, we're going we're to be quiet about the sign. They, they affirm and confirm the message I'm bringing, but it's not the point of the ministry. And so what I want us to note here is he sends them out. He listened, he gave them authority over demons and to cure diseases, but it was to proclaim and preach the gospel. So church, we ask boldly for healing. We expect miracles and we long for them, but our faith is not built on or dependent upon them. It's just, it can't be. Because we can't be a people who are built on signs and wonders. We are built on the message of the gospel that has been preached for 2,000 plus years to us. That Jesus is everything that we need. He is sufficient for our rescue and our redemption. And because of that, for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we then live sin. We image Jesus by going out and seeing the people that God has put in our life. Our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends and our family, right? Those that we interact with on a regular basis, we see them and we slow down and engage them. We care about them. We meet needs and then we speak the gospel. We don't assume that they simply see it in us. But we are reflecting his character and his image to a watching and waiting world who's in desperate need of hope and of joy and of peace. And we trust the Lord to save. He does not give them a quota. He doesn't say, okay, share the gospel a hundred times, right, and see 15 responses, and then come back to me. Right? There's no, there's no quota here. He simply asks them to be obedient, to, to share, to speak, to move. Salvation is in the Lord's hands. We are simply called to be faithful, obedient goers and disciples of Jesus. Right? We're going to continue to see this idea of discipleship developed out in Luke as we move forward. But this morning, would we worship our beautiful Jesus who has sent us, and would we be good image bearers of Him this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come this morning knowing that we, we feel often ill-equipped, like we don't know enough, we haven't experienced enough, we're not good with words, or we're afraid of the outcome. Lord, this morning, would we take comfort and encouragement from the fact that before they were ready, you sent these disciples out. But they were, they were with you, and they'd been equipped by you, and they were empowered by you. Father, they're no different than us today. 
that we know you, we have met you, we are filled by your Spirit, we are equipped by you, and you are still saving. And so, Lord, would we go out into the world and speak boldly and confidently, having seen people and met people and and ministered to people and trusting that there are folks that right now um, are far from you, who are rebels against you, and yet will become brothers and sisters because your gospel will land on good soil and you will rescue them and make them yours. Father, would we not take salvation into our hands, but would we be faithful to reflect your good name, your good character, and your good news to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.